Well, good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good? I tell you what, before we begin, let's take a moment, let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for being amazing in all that you do. Maybe where life has us so busy, we neglect time with you to acknowledge you, to thank you. Father, I pray that our hearts be drawn to gratitude this morning, that your word would penetrate any hard exterior that we have allowed sin to create. Father, we would confess that before you. We would seek, Father, for your word to minister to our hearts. We pray, God, that the indwelling Holy Spirit would illuminate it to our understanding and that our minds would be changed, more conformed to that of Christ. Father, give us a burden today for the material we will look at. Please, Father, use it for your glory in this body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. And I'm going to ask for an excuse for just two seconds. Give me two seconds. I'm not bringing out any props, okay? I know you're like, what's he bringing out this time? No, if I don't have water, we're not going to make it. talk to you guys later and ask you, what did you think I was going to bring out? So here's where we're at. We talked a lot last week, in case you weren't here, you can listen to it online. We talked a lot about how if you have a group of people that's not on the same page, they're definitely not going to all go in the same direction. One of the, one of the difficulties that you have in a situation like that, communication, communication, communication. Communication is always at the core of any mishap or breakdown or discrepancy or fight or squabble or whatever it is that you end up having with people. So the idea is to take the knotted cat ball of yarn thing. I tell you guys I don't like cats. Okay, good. I'm still saved. Calm down. So, liking cats is not contingent upon my salvation. It's good. Praise God, right? That's how much I don't like them. All right. But anyway, and sorting it out, smoothing it out so that we can all have something very clear that we've grabbed onto. And one thing that I've noticed in my short time here is there's a myriad of mission statements. And so we needed to settle on one thing that we can all agree on. And thank the Lord above, it was Ken Crejean who said to me, you know, Jeremy, this church used to be about loving people back to life. That's what we were about. Now, if you were here last week, we talked all about loving people. We talked about how God loves people. We talked about how we should love people because that's the object of God's affections. In fact, we talked about how love is actually what ended up motivating God to place Jesus on the cross so it would open the doorway for him to have a relationship with you and me. How does God love? Does everybody remember? Unconditionally. When we talk about an agape love, 
we talk about as an unconditional love. Now, here's where we get in trouble with this. Is a lot of time we want to qualify whether or not we should love people. We want them to give us a reason as to why we should spend the time, money, energy, thought, care, whatever it is, because it's so precious in our realm of extending a hand to other people. Now let's put ourselves in God's shoes. I like that picture up there of Luther's shoes, right? It makes you wonder, uh, we need something like that up here. Let's put ourselves in, we'll call it God's shoes. We'll have to make them gold, of course. But put yourself in God's shoes for a second. Does he ever sit around waiting for a reason to love us? No. Does this not demonstrate to us just how far off base we are from the model that he sets? It does. Now, don't get all feeling guilty and down, and I can't attain that. Yes, you, you can attain that. That's exactly right. But the beautiful thing is, is that when you become a believer in Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit that indwells you and seals you. Now, why is that important? Because he has put himself in you to give you the opportunity to do things you could never do without him. One of the biggest problems is is that we're so used to operating in this body the way that we've always thought, the way that we've always handled problems, the solutions that we've always come up with, that we rarely draw off of the very supply source that he has put in us. You ever gone throughout your Christian life and sometimes you just feel parched or like you're starving? You ever feel like, man, I just, there's something that's kind of choking me out about my Christian life. A lot of what that is, is we don't have the word working with the spirit in order to change us from the inside out to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I, I get it. We'll never be fully conformed to that image. But as God set us up for success to move in that direction, that's all he's done. And I'm not saying that to diminish or belittle it, but get this. God wants nothing more than his children to succeed at his purposes for his glory. That's all he wants. And he's given us everything. In fact, we read Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with, as he might know, every spiritual blessing. Here's the question, church. What do you lack in Christ? Nothing. Man, that sounded weak. Like you guys didn't believe, it almost said, nothing? Yeah, no. What do you lack in Christ? Nothing. You lack nothing. Isn't that beautiful? Because when you sit there and you stop to think about yourself, you're like, really? I don't like anything. You don't. And you have it all not based on anything because of you. You have it all based on everything accomplished in Christ. You just happen to be in the right location, right? We believe we're put in Christ. Praise God for that. So would you agree from just a short recap of last week, do you think that it's important for the church to love people? Can we all agree with that? We need to be loving people? Good. Do you, do you agree with the fact that we should seek to love as God loves and not require for people to earn our love? See, that's what gets us. That's our little bear trap that likes to grab a hold of us. So now we're going to look at something different. Revelation chapter 20. I'm sure Tom's getting all excited up here, but calm down, Tom, and forgive me, I was too busy jabbering, I didn't turn there, 
Revelation 20. Look at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. Now notice that. The dead, those who have never believed in Christ, that's who these are. Notice great and small. Doesn't matter who you were in life. Everybody see that? This judgment does not discriminate on those grounds. It says, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened, and another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of the age, at the end of the millennium, is going to fairly judge. Now think about that real quick. In fact, he goes to such extents, I sometimes imagine he's there on the throne, and that's hard because put a face on God kind of thing is kind of strange. But he has books open, plural, right? So I picture something that kind of looks like my desk, okay? And they're just everywhere open, all across there, and he can survey them. And then he's got one book over here, and everybody probably gets the family Bible mentality, right? Right, big over here. And and they, they tell us straight out, this is the book of life. Now, every person who doesn't have Christ is judged according to their deeds, what they have done. What have you done in the body? Why does he do that? Here's the reason why. Because he is a gracious judge. And if the requirement for acceptance into heaven is perfection, you have to have a righteousness like God's in order for God to accept you. Then he wants to make sure and give the people who didn't accept the free pardon of salvation through Jesus Christ a fair hearing that all their works can be considered of whether or not they merit entrance. Does that make sense? So he goes through it. In fact, we're told twice according to their deeds, according to their deeds. Now notice in verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Hades being the grave, the temporary place that people are held until this judgment time. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now pay close attention. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now if you notice in your handout, I have something written there. People will spend an eternity in the lake of fire for only one reason. Did everybody notice that sins are not mentioned at this judgment? People don't go to the lake of fire because of their sins. Is that weird for some people? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? Sins of who? The world. Did Jesus pay for their sins? 
He absolutely did, and his blood is completely sufficient to do so. But notice, why do people go to the lake of fire? I gave you a little blank, because we all like blanks, right? If it's not because of their sins, but because they do not have life. Because they do not have L-I-F-E. They are absent of life. They are the dead. There is no life abiding in them. Can they walk? Can they talk? Can they hear, see, respond, jumping jacks, do the twist, whatever? Yes. They can do all those things. But the one thing they need in order to be admitted before the presence of God, they do not have. And I mean in the presence of God in good standing. They don't have life. When we talk about loving people, we've got to have a direction that we're loving them. We're not loving them just because it makes us feel good. That only lasts for so long. You can only tolerate people for so long if the love resides in you and you actually have to deal with them, right? Nobody finds that humorous? Come on, man. Who here has a job or interactions weekly with people? Okay. See, now I get some laughs. Praise God, because you're like, wait a second, that's completely relevant to my life. Exactly. And so what we have to ask the question of is, if we're loving people, we've got to love them in a direction. This week, we are going to see the first aspect of life, L-I-F-E, all capital, because it is what matters. It's what Jesus offers. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Turn to John 1. Everybody warm up your right hand, or if you're left-handed, warm up your left hand. We're going to flip through to some scriptures, and I want you to see some things, and then we're going to talk about them and be done. Sounds easy, doesn't it? it you know it's not going to be that easy, man. I'm going to take you all the way to the edge. No, we'll do it quickly. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. We'll start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you're here today and your translation says, the word was a God. Come see me after church. I want to give you a brand new Bible, okay? Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, he is intricately locked up and tied into the creation process being part of the Godhead. Verse 4, and this is where I want you to really pay attention. This is, this is pin-clicking time, okay? In him was what? Stop for a second. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are eternal. But there's something in the Word of God. There's something in Jesus, and it's life, which means that it is eternal as well, okay? Now grasp this. This is cool stuff. Don't let it scramble your brains, okay? In him was life, and the life was the what? Light of who? Okay. Everybody, get ready. You might have to let go of some of your presuppositions that you brought to the table, what you heard before. Watch what's going on here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not 
comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. The light Jesus Christ is the life source, okay? He is the source of life for all people. Now watch this. John comes and he is a witness. He testifies about the light. Why? So that all might believe through him. Pause. Do you guys realize that our calling as Christians is no different than that of John the Baptist? What are we called to do? Right here is a really good place to mark it. We are called as witnesses. And what do we testify about? We testify about the light. Why do we bother to do that? Here is the reason why. So that all, 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 and if you break it down in the Greek, all means, man, you guys are students. You guys need to be sitting with me, Pastor Steve. It's great. All means all. It's the idea that because God, through Christ, has provided salvation for all people, the testimony of his witnesses to this light, to this life that people don't have is with the hopes that they would do what? What's it say? Believe. That is the only condition for receiving this life. Believing. Aren't you glad for that? Because you can't earn it. You can't live up to it. You can't give little winks to God. If he saw me wink like that, he'd think something's wrong, right? I tried doing that to my wife. She starts to call 911. She thinks something's messed up. (laughs) So that all might believe through him. Now pause. Everybody notice that the him is not capitalized there? Isn't that interesting? It's because it's talking about John. It's because it's talking about that the way that God wants to reach people is through people. That's how he's chosen to do it. We are all light possessors if we have come to believe in him. And being light possessors, we are life possessors. And so therefore, we communicate this to lost people. Why? In hopes that they would believe and therefore receive this exact same life. Now notice it says here, verse 8, he was not the light, that's how you know it was John, but he came to testify about the light. Now pay attention. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Does that mean everybody's saved? No. How are people saved? By believing in? Christ in him. So what does it mean that this light, this life, enlightens every man? Let me ask you this. Isn't it interesting that we all have a conscience? Isn't it interesting that there is something internally ingrained in us that tells us discernment between right and wrong? In fact, one of the places where you know that a society has gone so far is the fact that their consciences have become so seared that they accept right as wrong, and what is right looks strange. Now the wrong has become the right. Everybody see that? I spent some time yesterday in a uh, uh, bookstore right off of uh, UW's campus. 
I learned a lot. Man, just the magazine rack's enough to make you blush. It is amazing the worldview that people are putting out there and how some of the books I thought should be very common they should carry, you couldn't find them at all. The Christianity, it wasn't a Christianity section, it was a spirituality section. Oh, I see. Got to watch out for those people. So notice, he's the light, he's the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus said something very interesting in John 12. He said, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. He has given the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He has provided an abundance, especially in this country, abundance of the Word of God. If you don't have one, we have an abundance here. Grab one and take it home. Vern told me it's okay. Take a copy home. Read it. But here's what we find is, there are avenues everywhere that God has set us up for success so that we have a goal of which to love people toward. Does that make sense? And what is that? That we would testify about Jesus Christ and that they would come to believe in him. Why? Because they are dead and they will be before the lake of fire and judged into it unless they have life. Does it set well with you that people are going to go into the lake of fire? Is that okay? It's not okay for like Hitler? Well, for Hitler, maybe. Let me ask you this. Think about it for just one second. Did Jesus love Hitler? You sure? I had, I had one pastor tell me, I was this preacher speak, he had the audacity to say that Hitler was loved by God. Can you believe that? I said, yes. And they said, <laughs> which I love when people respond like that. That's always good, right? How much did he love Hitler? I love it. <laughs> Speaking in tongues, church. I didn't know that about you guys. He loved him unconditionally, didn't he? In fact, it's amazing how John describes himself as the apostle that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. It's interesting to see if we think about what the Bible has to say, we take it as true. John, John wasn't loved any more than Adolf Hitler was. Isn't that amazing? That's the way John qualifies himself there. The most sinful people God cares about, the most sinful people he sent his son to die for. He is full of mercy. He is full of abundance of grace. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through some passages. You've got them all listed out there. I've left you some little, some space if you want to mark something in. But let's go through these passages and look at them. We're probably very familiar with the first one, right? John 3. Most of these are in John. But what we need to deal with, the idea of what is offered as a free gift, is eternal life. Eternal life comes by one way and one way only, and that is by faith alone. If faith is tacked to anything else, it ceases to be faith alone. It is faith plus works, faith plus promise to do better, faith plus a record of good behavior, faith plus I'll make sure and go over and carry somebody's groceries for them, faith plus I'll always hold the door for my wife kind of thing. 
any works that you try to bring to it negate the offer given. Does that make sense? That is so important to understand. Because if there is any inkling of an understanding of I had a hand in this, I had something to do with this, that's not what Jesus offers. Jesus does it all and offers it to you and I freely. Important. John 3, look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so in the same way must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, does everybody remember this scene? The people are grumbling and complaining. The Lord disciplines his kids. Serpents come out and bite them. They're on the verge of death. Moses erects this bronze serpent. And what are the instructions? Promise you'll never do that again. Put your hand over your mouth and don't you ever complain. Is that what God says? Two easy things. Look and live. Look and live. Does everybody see why Jesus is trying to get this across? It's so simple. Nicodemus, I think, misses it at first. Look and live. Notice what it says. We know 16, right? Here's the reason. Four, there's your explanation. God so loved the world, everyone, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have. Praise God. There it is. They believe. God already loves them. That makes it easier for you to love them if you already have set in your mind God loves them unconditionally. Doesn't matter what they were doing. Doesn't matter how they were treated. Doesn't matter how they were treating other people. Doesn't matter if you caught them in the middle of spray painting your car. That makes it difficult. But still, it doesn't matter. It could be an open opportunity because the gospel is that important. It is that critical. Get this. Nothing else saves. Nothing else. Not a thing. Doesn't matter if your kid was baptized as an infant or not. It doesn't save them. They just got wet early. Doesn't matter if they walked an aisle. Why? Because if the person is having to walk an aisle as a profession of faith, I guarantee you they already believed before they ever stood up. Otherwise, they wouldn't have moved. Nobody says, I don't believe. Well, I'm believing. Whoa. Doesn't happen. Do we have to pray a prayer to be saved? Is it good to talk to God? Yeah, it's real good to talk to God. But do we have to say, God, I'm accepting you now? No, you either convinced or you're not. You either believe or you don't. And here's the thing. He's not waiting for all kinds of proof or anything in order to give you eternal life. He gives it to you freely. In fact, without really wanting to play too much on the pun, he's dying to give people eternal life. That's so important to understand. And I'm not trying to make light of the cross at all. It's horrific. But I tell you this, it's, it's insanely beautiful as well. He loves people. He gives his son for people. He asks for people to believe. Why? So that he can give them this life so they will avoid the lake of fire. Next one, John 3, 36. This always throws people. The end of the chapter, he who believes in the son has... Eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There it is, works, there it is. They have to obey. 
It can't just be faith. They got to actually live like it afterwards. If you have to live like it afterwards, what happens if you don't? Do you no longer get to have eternal life? Does God take it back from you? If you're born again when you believe, does he unborn you? No. So how do we deal with this? There's two ways. Number one, if you have like a a more in-depth reference Bible there, you might have a little number next to it. Mine has a number one next to it, next to obey, and it says over there, believe or believe. It can be translated either way is the idea, either way. Now, another way to look at it is context, context, context of the wider book. So take your Bible, turn over to John 6, 29. This is important because the same question of works comes up. Look at verse 28, I'm sorry. Verse 28 of of chapter, did I say 9? 6, good, okay. I don't know what's going on. John 6, verse 28. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That helps line that or, or get rid of that little problem maybe we felt for a while. What is it the work of God? Well, it's believing. It's responding to the evidence that's been placed before you. It is having a conviction about the facts that have been set up for you about who Jesus is. This is so important to get. Don't fall asleep on me. If you guys need coffee, it's located in the back. Don't fall asleep. So, everybody look back at John 4. Turn to John 4. And let's do 13 and 14. You're familiar with this. The woman at the well, right? What's Jesus got to say to her? Did this woman live a good life? Woo, she was saucy, wasn't she? I think that's in the Greek, saucy, right? The saucy woman at the well. But notice this, verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. I can testify to you day, amen, right? You drink of this, you're going to keep drinking it because you're going to keep needing it. But notice what Jesus says. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never. Does that mean ever? No, it means never, just like it says, right? Never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Did she do anything to earn this water? Man, we know her past. Saucy people can't earn water. Now, you you giggle, but we're all saucy in some way, I promise you. And that's just a fun word to say. If you want to say it sometime, it's good. You can use it. Yeah, see, everybody's like, saucy, yeah, that's fun. It is. John 5, turn over with me to John 5. This is an interesting verse as well. John chapter 5, 39 and 40. And again, like I told you guys, I don't necessarily like sermons where we're jumping around Scripture to Scripture, but I think in order to see this point, it's crucial that we grab it. John 5, verse 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these, the scriptures, that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Who's to blame for their lack of life? They are. If we don't come to Christ, we are. If we don't believe after hearing the gospel, we're guilty. 
That's pretty cut, dry, simple. In fact, that corresponds and gels with everything we've seen when we're going through the foundational framework series. We are accountable and responsible people before God. Jesus' own declaration is, here it is. And you'll go to the scriptures all day long. You can spend all day in your Bible. But if you don't believe in Christ, you won't have life. Is Jesus just narrow-minded? Actually, no. And here's the reason why. is because God wasn't obligated to provide salvation for one person. When Adam sinned, God could have been like, well, I love you, man. We had a good run. But you kind of messed this one up. So probably create some mind start over see ya is that god praise god it's not god how about to go to the uh, excuse me see i speak in tongues sometimes too john six forty seven. the next one this one's real just cut and dry simple truly truly that means i'm telling you the truth right i say to you he who Believes has what? Bang. You believe, you have eternal life. It's that simple. It is that simple. Notice John 10. Because then there becomes a question of assurance. Can someone know for sure that they're going to heaven? If they believe, do they know that they have eternal life? Okay? They're eternally secure. Is eternal security the same thing as assurance? See, eternal security is what God has done through Christ for you. You respond to the gospel. You're eternally secure. Assurance is whether or not we are actively believing that we are going to heaven or not. There are some people that have lapses in faith. There are some people that get bogged down and covered up and somebody told them they read a book somewhere and all of a sudden it made them feel unsaved because they weren't living up to certain requirements or expectations. Look at chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. Now watch this, and they will never perish. They will never perish. Look what it says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Hold it. That even means you. You cannot snatch yourself out of Christ's hand. Now, if that wasn't enough to convince us, Look at the next verse. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. This is what's commonly known as the double-fisted grip of God. Christ has you here, and then God decided, you know what, just for giggles, let's cover you up too. Right? And make it impossible to escape your standing before him. You cannot forfeit eternal life. It's impossible. Or let's put it this way so it's a little bit easier for us to digest and maybe comprehend. Regardless of what you have going on in your life, you will never out the grace of God. His grace is more exceedingly far-reaching than your sin could ever be. His love is greater than your hate. His provision is abundant when we are all severely destitute, bankrupt, and lacking. 
Whatever gaps we have, he fills abundantly. You can't be lost. It's impossible. How about the next one? 1 John. Oh, big jump, right? 1 John 1. 1 John 1. Same author, but way on the other side of the resurrection and ascension. Verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning, pay attention to the verbs, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He was actually physically there. He's seen it. Look what it says. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. As John's, did John get puny in his faith here? No. Isn't it, when you first hand see something, Paul can come and he can share with us the pictures of what he saw, but even he would say, it does not compare with the grandiose glory of standing there and going, wow. This is John's mindset. I've seen him. I've heard God speak. I've sat down to eat with him, and I am testifying to you, not about his eating habits, not about how he walked, not who he liked to hang out with, not even previous conversations. He wants to tell you one thing and one thing only about Jesus Christ, and that is how to have eternal life. That's what he's testifying about. Important. Now move over to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. In fact, let's just do 10 as well. 10's a good one. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. Do you think that belief is important? It's, oh man, John can't get away from it. Verse 11, and the testimony is this, here it is, that God has given us what? Eternal life, and that life is where? In his son. When you believe in Christ, you are transferred from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into a righteous right standing before the Almighty. When he now looks at you, he looks at you through the glasses of Jesus Christ and sees you spotless, perfect chaste, above reproach, blameless, without wrinkle. We're actually going to talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about the doctrine of justification. That's how he sees you and I. Now, immediately we sit here and go, wait a second, that's not me. Not now. Is it you before him? Amazing it is. Our position before Almighty God is, is not automatically reflected in our practice. That's important to understand. I don't live a spotless and chaste life. That's why you need Jesus, right? 
But as far as the mercy or the extension of grace, getting the opposite of what you deserve, given to you, he is taking us from a place of where we should be damned, and he is putting us in an abundance of perfection before him. He sees us positionally without spot or wrinkle. You are as clean and as righteous as Christ in his sight. Does that sound blasphemous? It kind of does, doesn't it? In fact, it would be blasphemous except that it's true. You are as righteous as the Lord Jesus in the sight of God. Why is that? Because he is looking at you through him. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Look at verse 12. He who has the Son has thee. He who does not have the Son of God does not have thee. I like Johnny's a simpleton. If you got Jesus, you got what? If you don't got Jesus, you don't have what? Or good grammar, right? Last one, last one. Go back to the Gospel of John. The reason why I wanted to save this one for last is because this is an excellent, excellent verse to share with people to evangelize. Now, when I say the word evangelize, and I know you're not going to be honest about this, okay? So I'm going to give you a pass today. When I say the word evangelize, how many of you start getting the sweaty neck and the, the clammy palms, right? Toes start curling up. Yeah, gosh, he's going to talk about that person in my life I know I should have shared the gospel with. No, I'm not. I don't have to. The Holy Spirit's already doing it, right? I love it. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, notice that. We have to hear the word, okay? Who hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed, has passed out of death into life. Is that a good verse? This encapsulates the whole thing. Because here's the thing, if we're going to love people, you can love them all day long, but if you never pull the trigger, they still go to hell. That's important to understand. You and I have purpose. They don't. You and I can be used by God to accomplish his purposes in the lives of other people. He is after the lost. He desires no one to go to hell. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He gave his son as a ransom for all. He desires all to be saved. He tasted death for every man. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but the sins of the entire world. Does God love people? How does God love people? Unconditionally, yes, but what is his modus operandi? What's his method of operation? Through people. God uses people to reach people. Guess who's people? Us! Weans are. Means and y'all. 
He uses you and I to share the gift of eternal life. It is offered freely, without strings. There's no front-loading or back-loading of the gospel. Well, you got to do this, 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 and maybe Jesus will accept you. No, Jesus did all the work. It's done. Well, after you get saved, you better act like this, and you better do this, and you better... No, 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 no. That's not part of the deal. Jesus never said that God loves you so much he gave his son that whoever believes and then behaves in him will have eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift, costly, paid for by the blood of Christ, costly, but offered free to you and I, at least I hope that's how you've accepted it. If you accepted it with some other idea in your mind, let's talk after service as well. And therefore, we get to offer it to people freely. Now, some of us just aren't good talkers, right? Some of us lock up. Some of us may not be convinced enough of the need to do so. Or when it comes time, we're all just like, got to go, right? It's beautiful how the Lord works because I just so happen to have something that you need. This is a tract called It's That Simple. Why? Because salvation is that simple. And what you find is, is it's not threatening, is it? Not too bad. I mean, there's nobody, you know, like a business guy on fire with 666 emblazoned on his forehead or anything, right? I've seen them, I've seen them like that. Chick tracks, right? But here's the amazing thing. You open it up, and it starts to tell you about panels are numbered. Gives you John 3.16, breaks it down for you. And you open it up here. Oh, panel three. Kind of explains, goes through. And it culminates with, have you believed in Christ? It's that simple. Now, here's the amazing thing. I don't have to talk to anybody about it to still be sharing the gospel. I could just discreetly (laughs) drop it off. And hopefully the person I gave it to will get saved. So... But here's a bad place because there is a lot of believers in Christ who don't have assurance. They're eternally secure, but they're sitting there thinking, well, because I went out and partied last Saturday and was so drunk and thrown up all over the house, there's no way God would love me. He still loves you. That's why we wrote, it's that certain. It's that simple as for lost people. It's that certain is for saved people. And why? Because saved people need to know that they're saved. Because even after having believed in Christ, sometimes they still don't know it. The world came in and messed them up, drug them away from it. They got made fun of, and so they quit because of peer pressure. They went to a church and taught them bad doctrine. Next thing you know, they're not for sure where they're going. They just know they don't want to go to this church anymore, right? And so you pop this open. Are you certain that you have eternal life? When you die, do you know where you're going to go? And then it proceeds, and still numbered, right? We want to make it good for everybody. But go through here and we give you verses. John 3, 16, why? Eternal life. When we believe in Christ, we have eternal life as a free gift. You open it up, panels 3, 4, and 5. Paul believed this as well. I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, nor powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God, right? Good stuff. It also has John 5, 24 in there. And then it gives at the bottom. Do you believe in Jesus? If you said yes, if you do believe in him, 
you have eternal life, and eternal life is forever. It's eternal. It's life whose very source was found in Christ himself. And because it has always been, it will always be, because Christ has always been and will always be, his work is perfect. He requires nothing of us. We simply respond to his gift. Does that sound good? Now, here's the amazing thing. You can take this and also leave it. Sometimes I go to Walmart and I'm just like, you can tell where I've been, right? You can follow the trail. It's like leaving cheese so I get my way out. But try to make it work. I thought his flat top was flat enough. That's okay. There you go. That way Tom can now know that he has assurance. And here's the great thing. Tracks tell the truth when you're not there. One guy that I know from my previous church, so on fire for the gospel, and he's a weird cat. He has his Bible, and he'll stand out in the middle of the most major highway, and he's doing hip-hop dance, and he's rapping about the hypostatic union of Christ. And I don't know. He's deep, man. But cars are coming by. He's like, and Jesus died for you, right? <laughs> he's making himself available. How did he get to that point to where he's such an out-and-out evangelist that has no care whatsoever about what other people would think about it because he's so solid on the truth? You know what it was? He's going through a real hard time in his life, walked into a bathroom to go to the bathroom, looked down, and he was stepping on a tract. He picked it up, read it, life changed. He believed in Christ. Everything got different, and he couldn't control it, and it was great. It was beautiful. God wants to change lives. In fact, God has already supplied everything necessary to change life. All we have to do is simply, does God want me sharing the gospel with people? Yeah. So guess what we get to do? Not what we have to do. Not what I guess I better do. You get to share Jesus. Father, please give us a better understanding of the beauty of eternal life offered freely on helpless sinners. Thank you for Jesus' perfect work on the cross, his perfect life, that we can actually be justified in your sight. Father, you love people. And by my own admission, and, and I think I speak for everyone, we cannot even begin to think of loving people to the magnitude that you do. But because you do, that's where we need to follow you. That's where your work is. Father, please convict our hearts. Stir us up. Maybe you're bringing that person to mind that we know you've placed us in their path so that we can share about Jesus Christ with them. Give us the courage we don't have it on our own. Give us the words to say. We don't have that on our own. Give us the willingness to just leave tracks with people. Help us to love people. And Father, that they can have life. And you have given us the opportunity to tell them the word of truth. Thank you, God. We pray it in the name of Christ, our beautiful Savior and Lord. Amen.